All right, so we're kicking off a series called How to Ruin Your Family, I mean, How to Not Ruin Your Family, right? Um, and we tried to make it a little bit humorous because there are some really hard truths that we're going to be sharing in this, uh, because there are some things that, that happen in our lives that really do cause uh, complexities within, the, within our families and then within family relationships. So one of the things I like to just make everybody aware of, if you don't already believe this, I, I personally and our church believes that the family unit is one of the most uh, important elements in a civilized society. The, the family unit is actually carries one of the greatest powers in the world. The, the role of mom and dad is one of the most important positions in the world that you could ever hold. Uh, and the family is really, really, really a dynamic that needs to be honored and respected in our society today if we want to continue to make a difference, and even more so within the church. Um, and so as we look at this, when we look at this idea of family, one of the things that uh, we were kicking off today and is the marriage, uh, the foundation of marriage. And so what we want you to be able to understand from today is if you don't want to ruin your family, then don't ignore your marriage. Or if you want to ruin your family, then continue to ignore your marriage. And so as we titled this series, uh, I hope it's obvious, we don't want you to ruin your families, all right? That is not our intention. Uh, but we're going to approach it from that angle because oftentimes as humans, um, we get into some really bad habits. And any of you have ever built a house, when you first build a house, it looks amazing. It doesn't matter if it was put up in two weeks or if it was put up over the course of 20 years, the initial product revealed looks amazing. But over a course of time, if you took shortcuts on the foundation, the first storms and the first set of difficulties, you're going to reveal how you shortchanged the foundation of your building or of your home. And it's the same way in our marriages. If we shortchange the foundation of our families, you're going to experience, uh, I'll say, fractures within your family. And so these things that we're going over here today are things that I want you to just be aware of, not in a way to condemn you at all. Please hear me on that. There, and I'm going to try not to, you know, sometimes I get really passionate. I'm going to really try my best not to get passionate because I don't want to be preachy on this because I, wanna, I want us to imagine like we're all going through a difficult time because when you hear uh, these truths, they're hard. And quite frankly, most of us will probably be able to identify with all of them, if not many of them, as we share it. So I don't want it to come across as preachy. I want it to come across as something that is common to the human error, but we just have to be aware of it and address these things within our homes so that we don't get surprised when things don't magically work out. But they were going so good. We were married for 13 years, and now all of a sudden, yeah, well, let's go back 13 years in 10 years and look at what were you contributing to the foundation of your marriage that might have caused some of those things to fracture. And you might say, well, I'm not married right now, or I'm not planning on getting married, or I want to get married in the future. Well, honestly, the things I'm going to share today are actually things that God shared with us, how we're supposed to treat others, most of them. There's a couple that keep the marriage, all right? But we're going to keep it as PG-13 as possible. Um, but the reality is the majority of what God tells us in our homes it's what he told us to do externally for the family of God as well. And so it doesn't matter if you're married or not. You're divorced, divorced the third time. It doesn't really matter today. These words are for all of us no matter where we're at. So over the years, I know that we all want to uh, think that we're unique, but what we need to make sure our foundation is this. is from a biblical perspective, your marriage is the foundation of your family. And that's what I want to start off with here today. 
your marriage is the foundation of your family. And I know that we want to think of each one of our perspectives, each one of our situations as unique. And Donnie, you just don't understand. I get that. Um, But I've been doing this for 28 years, and the reality is the things that we struggle with oftentimes are the same thing. And so uh, I originally had 10 uh, items. I had the top 10, uh, but I had to cut even more this morning because you guys do want to go home and eat today. So I cut it down to eight. All right. And so we're going to stick with these eight. Not that the other two weren't important, but um, you're just going to have to wonder what they were. All right. So the first thing that we want to do, the first thing that I've seen happen over and over again, and, and I'm talking to believers, I'm talking to people who say that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, though, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here today, I'd encourage you that's the most important decision you could ever make. Uh, but this message. Uh, can apply to you, but you really can't do what I'm talking about with the power of Holy Spirit in your life. And so I'm really talking to believers, people that call themselves followers of Christ. These are the top eight things that I see followers of Christ continue to do over and over again in his church uh, that are destroying the fabric of the family. So the first one is this. Uh, If you want to ruin your family, ignore God and his word. Ignore God and his word. I wish that everything that the Bible says about how we're to treat others uh, we would simply apply to our marriages. Honestly, I mean, that, it, it comes down to that because when I read the Bible uh, and then I lead the church, it does not amaze me that we do not love the world well. Let me say that again. When I lead the church, it doesn't amaze me that we don't lead the world well because quite frankly, we don't even do what the Bible says in our own homes. So how are we going to treat others like that when we struggle to treat the one that we say we love with this type of same love that God has given to us? You see, as followers of Christ, uh, it's difficult for us to do that. But the thing that we have to remember is the very standards that God gives to us in his word, how we're to treat our spouses and our families. He gave them to an era when they couldn't even pick their spouse. They were arranged marriages. And the same standards that we have to live by today when we get to, quote, pick the ones that we love, uh, they were given the ones that they had to love. And so as soon as you start feeling sorry for yourself and how it's not working out the way that you want it to, just remember the standard by which God set it up in the first place. And imagine you being in that, pers- that situation. And so it's really difficult to, to do what God asks us to do within our marital roles. So I get that. But just, just keep that in the back of, of your mind. And I, I really encourage you guys, because one of the things when we talk about this idea of ignoring God and his word um, flip that around, and just what do you say the Word of God is? Is it the foundation of your marriage? You see, because in our, in our modern day and age right now, a lot of people look at the Bible as it's just, a, it's just a book that we can extrapolate wisdom from. It's an ancient, archaic book of stories that was good for them, but it doesn't really apply to us because, quite frankly, our culture has changed. And so we can adapt the Bible to say whatever we want it to say in our culture today. And that's where we get ourselves messed up right out of the gate because we're ignoring God and his word right out of the front, uh, front part of our marriage. So if you want to ignore uh, your marriage, then the best way to ig- ignore it and ruin it is to ignore the one who established it. That's just, it's just happens. I mean, I, I'd love to, w- I would wish that I'm not talking to people who haven't experienced this, but I know for a fact, I mean, the, the family unit, you've got a 50% chance of staying married right now in America. It's not a real good odds. You've got a 50-50 chance. And so how can we increase those odds as, as followers of Christ? That's really what I want to be able to do here today. So if you want to increase your odds of con- making your marriage last, then 
Choose God. Make the foundation. Make the Word of God your foundation. It comes out of Joshua, and this is, this is everything today that I'm going to be talking about. It's not unique to our 21st century group of people. Like These things have been going on for a really long time. Go all the way back to Joshua. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River. All right? So throw away the historical elements of the gods that you once served. And then he says, And in Egypt, and then serve the Lord. Keep going. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, so if you're here today and say, you know what, I really don't want to do this, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. All right, we got to get off the fence. We can't keep calling ourselves followers of Christ, but ignore everything that he says because it's not going to work out. The foundation is going to crumble. Whether the gods of your ancestors, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living, Right, so he's talking about the modern-day context of where they were at. Ignore all that, he says. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, the only people that can decide that for you and your household is you and your spouse. And this is the household, right? You, mom and dad, are the ones that get to decide if, if he's the one that you're going to serve or not. See, when I was 16 years old, I decided when I was reading through the book of Hosea, and I've been reading the Bible since I was a little kid, right? It's just been what my parents taught me because they did everything that we're talking about here. So when I was 16 years old, I was reading through the whole Bible, and I got to the book of Hosea. And after reading the book of Hosea, I was like, you know what, I don't care. And I didn't have a girlfriend. I couldn't get one. But I determined that if I ever did get a girlfriend and if I ever did get married, I was going to love her just like Hosea loved Gomer. Now, I didn't want to have a wife like Gomer, but I was determined that no matter what ever happened, I was going to portray the same type of love that Hosea had for Gomer. Why? Because if God could help, Go- or help Hosea love Gomer, he could help me love whoever I choose to marry. And now, I will say praise the Lord Jesus from all above glorious things. My wife is not like Gomer at all. Praise Jesus. I'm glad I did not have to live out my promise to God at that point in time. But that's where I started because that was my foundation. And we have to ask ourselves, what is our foundation as we go into this act of marriage. And I want to encourage you guys, if you don't want to ruin your family, then make it the Word of God. Second thing, if you want to ruin your marriage, then imagine and believe that oneness in marriage is irrelevant, okay? Then oneness in marriage is irrelevant, all right? Now, what does oneness in marriage even mean? I'm glad you asked. So you're here. I'm going to tell you what that means, what we should strive for. Because once we establish, and everything from this point forward builds off of the fact that we make the, whole, the Word of God our foundation, Right? If we don't do that, then the rest of these points kind of all fall apart. Once we establish that we believe that God and his word are our foundation, then we have to determine what we believe about our sexuality, about our image, and about our marriage vows. Right? So then it's all about what do we believe about those things within ourselves. If you want to ruin your marriage, then believe that this idea of oneness is irrelevant. Okay? Now that takes us all the way back to the beginning of uh, actually... Jesus' words, and he takes us back to the beginning, but let's go to what Jesus says about this idea of being one uh, in our marriages. He says this. Now, if you had a red-letter Bible, these would be red-letter words direct from the mouth of Jesus himself. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Right? This isn't mixed-up verbiage. This isn't ancient words. These aren't. This was Greek, very linear. It wasn't some hidden language, male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This, this idea, go back there, this idea that 
they are two, and there will no longer be two but one flesh. That's this idea of oneness. And Christ himself said this, in the act of marriage, it is two people becoming one. And he's talking about our sexuality. And notice he's, he's setting the standard there. And he took, this is a direct quote out of Genesis. All right, go back, go to Genesis. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother. Okay, the whole idea is we are to leave our homes. We're raising children to go, not to stay. Mom and dad, you've got to cut the cord. You've got adult children, cut the cord. They've got to learn to be independent. Don't live in a commune where they're right next door so you can continue to impose upon them how you want to run their lives. They left their mom and dad, and they were united to his wife, and they became one. These are words of Jesus. Words of Jesus. And they're so hard to create in our world around us because this passage is talking about our sexuality. It's talking about our gender. It's talking about how we're literally made in the image of God, male and female. He declares our distinct differences from the beginning of time, and yet we live in a world. We live in a world that wants to question whether or not gender identity even is a thing anymore. So we have to go back to, are we going to live in the world of our Amorites and our forefathers, or are we going to abide by the Word of God? That It gets tested right out of the chute when we start looking at it like this. But I want to challenge you guys. You will never experience oneness if you don't submit your sexuality to God first. I, I can just promise you that. You'll never experience oneness if you don't submit your sexuality to God first. Um, he goes on to instruct us in our sexuality and what to do in our marriage, right? So if you're under 13, still listen and ask your mom questions later and dad questions later, right? 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 2 through 3 says this, but since sexual immorality is occurring, I mean, Everybody's like, oh, the world is falling apart. No, we've had a lot of problems for a really long time. All right, the, what you're experiencing has been around a long time. Go, go, go to Pompeii, all right? If you don't think so, just research it a little bit, all right? Sexual immorality is occurring. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. Remember, gender identity even right here. Each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Keep going. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Hmm. But he, she yields it to her husband. Now, guys, don't get too excited yet, all right? In the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. This is that idea of becoming one. We aren't about demanding our own ways, our own, our own needs. Keep going. So don't deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. Now this is prayer and fasting, the spiritual element of oneness. There's the physical element of oneness and the spiritual element of oneness wrapped up right here. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then make sure you come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Hmm. Now when we think about this idea of oneness, it's physical and it's also spiritual. And we have very clear parameters of what that looks like. And Jesus was talking about so much more than the physical. But quite frankly, we can't even get the physical right in our marriages. It's so hard for us to surrender. Like when we read that, it's like, ain't no way. I'll manipulate and hold against him. I've, I've talked to so many couples. Like I said, this is 28 years. I have talked to so many couples that use their physical relationship in marriage to punish one another and to withhold from one another. It's devastating to the marriage. So if we can't get that right in our own homes, then I guarantee you the oneness is never going to happen 
on the spiritual level. It's got to start at the physical level. Our sexuality is just the beginning of oneness. All right? It's just the beginning of oneness. Learning to blend them, blend our differences into one, that's the real challenge. Learning how to blend our differences of male and female into one as a family, that's really where the challenge lies. Many followers of, of Christ don't even like God to tell us what we're supposed to do with our sexuality, let alone the world. The land of the Amorites, the Egyptians, they don't want God having anything to do with our sexuality. You bring that into the church, and quite frankly, most Christians don't even want to submit to God with what he says about our sexuality. The number of people who deprive one another sexually, cheat on one another in their marriages, they sleep around before marriages, they got to check out the goods, like something's not going to work or something. They engage in open marriage, porn use. I mean, it, it's devastating. And then we wonder why, oh, I, don't, I just wish I could have a marriage like them. I just wish I could have a godly marriage. Well, you got to stop doing some of the stuff you're doing. you gotta, you got to surrender our, your sexuality to who God is and what he says. Church, if we don't start there, I guarantee you we are going to struggle with becoming one in marriage. It's where it starts. Jesus prayed in John 17, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father <clears throat> excuse me, let them be one as you and I are one. This idea of oneness is at a spiritual level, but we can never reach spiritual maturity and spiritual oneness until we're at one with one another physically as well. Because if we think we can if we think we can be one spiritually with someone before we can even look them in the eye, it's not gonna happen. So again, I've, I've seen this happen over and over. I picked the top eight things that I see in my office uh, on a regular basis, and, and I wish it was unique, but it's not. This happens on a very, very regular basis. We are created differently as men and women, as males and females. There are different needs. There are different aspects of our personalities. There are different aspects of our genders, and, and, and we have to understand that. Oneness, hear me on this, oneness celebrates our uniqueness. It does not eliminate it. This idea of oneness celebrates your uniqueness and the role that you bring to the table. It does not eliminate whether or not you're a man or a woman. Okay, It celebrates it. All right, moving on. Number three. I could preach on all these, by the way. Each one of them is a sermon all wrapped up in itself, which is why I had to cut it down to eight. All right, number three. You want to ruin your marriage? Be selfish, be first. Be selfish, be first. And obviously, don't be selfish, don't be first. That's the, what we're really trying to go for here. Ephesians 5.21 says this, and this is oftentimes overlooked when we start looking at the roles, of, and, roles and responsibilities of the men and women in, in marriage. And we start with Romans 5.22, or Ephesians 5.22 instead of Ephesians 5.21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is for the whole household. We're to surrender ourselves to each other in the home. Man, that's hard. And then he goes on and talks about men and women, husbands and wives. But it starts right here. He even goes on to talk about children after this. But it starts right here. We have to surrender and submit to one another first. Philippians 2, verses 2 through 6 says, tells it this way. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. That whole idea of being one. This is a spiritual oneness. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. This is, this, is the goal. this is the goal for our marriages. This is the echelon of unity, right? This is what we're striving for. This is what we should desire within our marriages. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. The other person. Shoot, just get this in your, get this in your home. Philippians is talking to the church. <laughs> 
I just wish we would do this with our spouses. Consider your spouse above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. If we would do this first, it would eliminate so many problems. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he was God. Now look at this, because we get all wrapped up in this holy quality thing, right, in our society today, because we're living in the land of the Amorites. We're not in our heavenly homes yet. Who, in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He could have declared his sovereignty in some of the things that he had to go through, but he didn't. He understood his role as the son and what he was going to do. He understood his responsibilities. That's why he said, I wish that people would understand and they could become one as we are one. That was his prayer because he understood the role he played. Equal, but a different role. Equal, but a different role. And if we don't understand this, if we don't, if we don't get this thinking in our mind, it's going to be really difficult when we start talking about roles and responsibilities. But when we read all of this, the whole household, families, the whole household is to submit to one another. But our children learn it by the way that we do it to each other. And we want to be great parents, but oftentimes we neglect the fact that the greatest model for our parenting style isn't the one that we married. And so we've got to be aware of this. This, is, this command is to the whole household, but we've got to start with the one that we say we love. And this is where the equality steps in. We are equal but we don't have the same roles. We're equal in creation. We're equal in position. We're equal in who we are in the importance of life, but we are not equal in roles and responsibilities. We have separate roles, separate responsibilities. And if we don't get this down, this idea of mutually submitting to one another, we're going to really struggle. We're going to really struggle with the idea of our different roles. All right, go to the next slide. I'll say it like this. If we don't submit to each other, then understanding roles and responsibilities is going to be really difficult. If we don't do this submission to one another, when we get to the next points, uh, some of you are going to want to get up and walk out as soon as I say this next one, all right? So don't murder me, all right? Give me a second. Just hear me out, especially you ladies, all right? <sighs> Guys, I'm going to take one for the team. Look straight ahead. Do not look at your wife. Look at me. Right now, women... If you want to ruin your family, women, be the leader. Now, I want to say that I've seen both sides of this. My dad died when I was 14 years old, so I saw a very strong, biblical, godly leader in the home. But then I saw a very godly, biblical leader. Huh. <clears throat> That's Matt's fault. He told me to say this. And my mom, because after my dad died, my mom had to be the leader. She didn't want to be the leader, and I had a strong foundation. So when I say this, I'm not putting women down by any stretch of the imagination. I get it. Sometimes you're thrust into a position that you don't want to be in. 100% have that. But if that is not the case, do not usurp the role that God has placed you in. Because as soon as we do that, it messes up the dynamic of the family. This is the way that God created it. And this is not a modern day, old age, leftover thing from the Victorian era. The struggle that women feel in the home right now is from the beginning of time. All right? But I want to go to Ephesians first before we get to Genesis. It says, wives, 
submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the church. It's not, this isn't, this is why we have to go back to the Bible. Is the Bible our authority or is the land that we live in our authority? Because if the land that you live in is in your authority, then you can ignore every single thing that I'm saying. If it's not, then we have to read this and for what it's worth. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now I get it, most of us don't submit to Christ in the church either, so it really is difficult. All right, But the reality is, wives, this is your role, like, to submit to your husbands and it's hard, especially when he doesn't appear to be leading in a spiritual direction that you'd prefer him to be leading in, right? It's hard to submit to someone that you don't respect or honor. How do we do that in this day and age? Well, we have all kinds of examples of it in the Bible of women who respected and honored their husbands, even though their husbands weren't even Christians. So it's a really difficult dynamic. It's really hard to do, but it is something that's possible because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. It didn't say in the, submit to your husbands in the things that you agree with, right? It says everything. That's painful, really painful, but that's what the Bible says. So we can't, we can't go down this road, well, Donnie, this, we're just living in a day and age where we're holding on to Victorian era uh, old standards. We, we live in the day of enlightenment and our culture has changed and that's no longer the rule anymore. I know. That's what the world of the Amorites wants us to believe. But do we go back to the Bible? Which Where's your foundation? Remember I said if we live like this and your household experiences the storms of life, your foundation is going to show the weakness. So do you demand this? Donnie, you just don't understand. He doesn't lead. I get it. I get it. But oftentimes what I've also found is that he just doesn't lead right. He doesn't do it the way you want him to do it. And so I'll give you a little clue. Guys, look at me. Don't look at your wife. Guys will give up. If all you're going to do is hound him and nag him, he's not going to do it anymore. He will give up. Because he can't get it right if he tries, and he can't get it right if he doesn't try. So he's just going to quit trying because that's in the nature of man. Now, you could wish it was different, but that's what's going to lead us into our next point. All right, so we're going to get off this stage, all right? So we're going to go to men, all right? What does God say to the man? Oh, I want, before I did that, I wanted to show what he says in Genesis. The reason why this is so hard is it was part of the curse to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, labor you will bring, give birth to children. That's where most people think the curse ended. Your desire will, desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Couldn't he just have left it at pain in childbirth? Right? No, now he had to have pain in marriage. And ever since then, we have been struggling with the Word of God and our roles and responsibilities since the fall of man. Leads us right into men, which is point number five. Men, you want to ruin your family? Keep abdicating your leadership. Keep abdicating your leadership. We are called to be the spiritual leaders of our home. All right. The book of Ephesians goes on and talks about in verse 25, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hmm. 
Did, did we catch that? How are we to love our wives? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present herself, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in this same way, husbands, you ought to love your wife as your own body, giving yourself up, never being first, never demanding your ways, because it's about her. It's not about you. He who loves his wife like this loves himself. So it, he goes on, and when we think about this idea of when God tells us to rule over our wives, it's, it really comes down to who's first in your marriage. Guys, I get it. We want women to believe and understand and hear, well, you're supposed to respect and honor me. Yeah, well, we're supposed to love them a whole lot better. You see, when we love our wives like this, it makes their job easier. Do you realize what they have to submit to when we're acting like idiots? When we're acting like selfish fiends and, well, you're, you're not a very godly woman if you don't respect me. Well, you're not a very godly man if you don't love her better. They could flip that around, but if they're a good submissive wife, they're not going to tell you that, right? Hmm. It's hard. It is so hard. Does your wife know she's first in your life and in your marriage? Are you willing to sacrifice your dreams your goals? You willing to sell your toys for your wife? I had a snowmobile once. <laughs> my wife wanted furniture. I sold my snowmobile. I did. It's a true story. We still have the couch today. It's really comfortable. But we do that on purpose. Does your wife know there is nothing that stands in the way of you loving her. These are choices that we make. They're not easy choices. I loved my snowmobile. It went fast. Now I'm in the south, so it doesn't matter. We don't have snow. But do you make your spouse first? Forget about possessions. What about your time? Are you there? Do you take time to date one another? You take time to lead them in love. Because i tell you what, when you love like Christ loves, it's a lot easier to submit to a man like that. So I encourage you guys, it's not just on your wives. It's on all of us. Whew, all right, it gets easier. No, it doesn't. All right, number six. You want to ruin your marriage? Ignore your covenant. Mm. If you don't want to ruin your marriage or your family, then don't ignore your covenant. I wish the Bible wasn't so clear, but we'll go to the book of Malachi for this one. It says this, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. This is that whole moment where we've been married for 15 years and all of a sudden it comes crashing down and we can't figure out why. We flood our Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with the pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Now you can put this towards your husband as well. Or the wife and husband both. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. 
This idea of marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. Keep going. Has not the one God made you, going back to the creation, we become one in our... This is a reminder to the people. Guys, we get it. You're living in a world full of fallenness and darkness and, and, and brokenness. Has not God made you? What does God seek? Godly offspring. Where does godly offspring come from? A godly marriage, right? See, this, is, this isn't unique to 21st century families. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Do not be unfaithful to the husband of your youth. Keep going. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should be protecting, says the Lord God Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Wow. Remember, church, God hates divorce. Why? Because he hates you if you had a divorce. I know there's divorced people in this room. He doesn't hate you. Why does he hate you? Or hate divorce. He doesn't hate you. Why does he hate divorce? Why does he hate divorce? It's really simple. Because it ruins the family. It breaks the covenant. You see, God gave us marriage to be a reflection of the covenant he made with his people. He doesn't hate you. He hates the fact that the only institution that he put on this world and on this earth is not, to reflect the same type of love that he has for us is now broken. That's why he hates it. Because it's the only institution that he has for us to reflect his glory. And if he wants godly offspring, the very thing that he's using to show these kids how to love is now being broken. That's why he says he hates it. Not because he hates you. He hates what it does to the family unit. Because he knows that marriage is the foundation of the family. So what we have to ask ourselves in this is, is our marriage a covenant or is it a contract? Is it a covenant or is it a contract? Because contracts can be broken. Just go get yourself a good lawyer. A covenant, God says, is only broken by death. And in God's world, death is what seals the covenant. And we're restored to a perfection in heaven. That's why this covenant idea of marriage is so powerful and important within the church. I get it. Don't worry about what the world thinks. The world thinks differently. But unfortunately, the way the world thinks has crept into the church. That's why the marriage, the, the divorce rate in the church is the same as it is in the world. We don't reflect any other different standards. I don't know if you know that or not, but the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world around us. shouldn't be that way. Why? Because we should have different standards. Just... Think about that when you get married, before you get married, while you're married. All right, number seven. You want to ruin your marriage? Keep a record of wrongs. I mean a really long list. I mean, I want you to write it down so every time you argue, you can bring it up. Yeah, we laugh, but we know it's true. Man, the number of times I've counseled people in my office, and the list that they start with is staggering. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. We're going to have to unravel that one. Because the list started back at the foundation. And it's been going on for years. So I have a passage I want you to read for you on this one. Toughest verse in all the scriptures, I think, to honor. This is a hard, I think one verse, if, if, if there's one verse that is the hardest verse in all the Bible to make sure that we live out, it's right here. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. 
Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If we could just do this in our marriage. Question I have for you on this one is if you bring up an old offense every time you're arguing, go ahead and flip the slide. Every time you're arguing, if that offense comes up, have you really forgiven them? Have you really let it go? Now, I'm not saying forget it because there's nowhere in the Bible that says forget it. It says let it go. As far as the east is from the west, God put it off. It doesn't say he forgot them. He said he put them aside. When we forgive, I'm not saying ignore troubles. I'm saying work through them. But once you work through them, you've got to let them go. You've got to forgive them. Number nine, eight, excuse me. Now this one sounds great at first. If you want to ruin your family, put your kids first. No, wait a second. My kids are really important to me. I know they are. I'm not telling you to be a bad parent. You want to be a good parent? You want to be a godly parent? Become a godly spouse. Don't put your kids first. Your marriage is the foundation, not your kids. Now, there are all kinds of different passages. We're going to go through the rest of the series, and we're going to talk about raising children and the rest of your family and other uh, topics like that. But I just want to remind you that children are, are all kids are important, but your marriage is that foundation. All right, they are not. They are not the replacement. They are a result of. They are a result of a relationship that was begun in the image of God. And they're a byproduct of that. And so we need, to, we need to keep them in that priority. We can't put them first, all right? Go to the next slide when we, when we say that. Just remember this. Our children are the result of a relationship. They're not the replacement. When you think about that, if you're, let's say you're married the second time or the third time. You want to ruin that marriage? Put your biological kids first. It's really hard. Remember, two become one. Doesn't mean, yeah, but not my kids. You can't talk to my kids that way. Maybe you shouldn't get married. Because your relationship now is more important than the kids. We've got to think about that. Again, I'm telling you, this is over 28 years. This is not unique to our modern-day era. This is not unique to North Carolina. This is not unique to anybody in this room. I am not condemning or shaming or guilting anybody. These things happen day in and day out, and they are consistent destroyers of the family unit. And we just have to be careful with them. All right, now take a breather, because there's some heavy stuff in there. All right, just breathe in and out because there's a solution and I saved it for last because I want us to end on a good note all right there is a solution okay all things are redeemable but we have to seek the solution and that solution is this it is repentance it is repentance all right so who do we repent to first we repent to God we we repent God, I'm sorry. And repentance, it's not a 180-degree turn. I don't know what your church background is, but when I was taught to repent, the pastor got all hellfire and brimstone on you and you turned the other way, 180 degrees, right? I want to challenge that just for a second. You can slaughter me later. It doesn't have to be 180 degrees. Say you're in a car and you just change your thinking. Repentance simply means change your thinking. You might only need to change your thinking half a degree. Remember, we're talking about the foundation. Half a degree in a car, when I change my direction half a degree, I'm going to end up in an entirely different location five miles down the road. I might not notice anything up front, 
five miles down, 100 miles down, 1,000 miles down, that half a degree is going to make a world of difference. So your repentance doesn't need to be a 180-degree shift. It needs to be in line with what the Word of God says about maybe you need to repent about how you view marriage. Maybe you need to repent about how you view divorce. Maybe you need to repent about how you view your sexuality. I don't know. Quite frankly, all of us could probably find something in those eight things that we've messed up in. We repent about those things. We make ourselves right before God first because we can't get this right if this isn't right. Now you can try, but it's going to be a mess. Trust me. Because if you don't have Him, you don't have the strength. It's not going to work. We repent, repent here first. And then, you know, I know the other thing we have to do before we start reconciling with one another? Maybe as a couple, you need to repent before God. This is the hardest one with couples who get married and then they come to me for counseling and they've been married five, six, seven, ten years or whatever. And their marriage was started in fornication. Why? Well, because we've got to check out the goods. We were living together for two or three years beforehand. Then you need to repent of that. That wasn't God's will. You went directly against the Word of God. Now, does he mean he hates you because you screwed up? No. It just means you've got to bring yourself in alignment as a couple to God. We're asking God to bless something that he didn't do. He didn't ordain. We start there. We start with repentance. When we're right with God, then, then we can begin the long, arduous journey of reconciling relationships with one another. You see, because this is what I know about repentance. God can redeem all things. Everything is redeemable. There is not a single sin that you have ever committed that God cannot redeem in your life and in your marriage, but he can only redeem that that you have given him. If you refuse to acknowledge his sovereignty in any one of those eight areas, then he can't redeem that in your life. So it's not, you don't have to weep and wail. You just have to say, God, I'm sorry. I never thought about it like that. And at that moment of repentance, God does an indescribable work of restoring things within us because repentance is the foundation of restoration. Then once we repent, then we can get back to being one with one another. And that's the beautiful thing about relationships. Now we can teach our kids, you know what? We made a mistake. We struggled. Mom and dad were going through some hard times. But we made it through. Why? Because we repented to God first. Then we repented to one another. You're, you can't become one if you don't reconcile with God first. And I will tell you this, after 28 years, there are sometimes the damage that's done over the years is irreparable. It's hard. We have some great counselors we recommend here at church. Uh, we have an office for one of them. Um, but the reality is sometimes the, the, the foundation is so destroyed, you, you're, you don't have the skill set to rebuild it. It needs someone else that can step in and help you rebuild that foundation. It can be redeemed. It really can. But it's going to take a lot of work. And as a church, here's what we want you to know. We are here to walk with you through it. Life is messy. And go away from here knowing that I, I want you to know that there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no condemnation no matter what baggage you bring into a relationship that you have or you're currently in right now. I want you to know it's redeemable. But I want you to know also that we have to surrender it to God first. And that's only something that you can do. And God wants to restore all relationships, especially family relationships.
because the family unit is a reflection of the love that he has for his family down here. Let's pray. Dear God, you are, you are awesome. You are so holy. You are so righteous. And every single one of us in this room stands condemned on our own merit. But God, through the power of your son's love on the cross and his own submission to all that he he has made it possible for sins to be redeemed. So God, I don't know what people are going through here today, but Lord, you do. Your Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Lord, I pray that your Spirit heals the wounds that I know we walk around with. God, I pray that you begin a restorative moment within our lives that we can yield our lives, our relationships, our marriage into the hands of a loving God. Lord, if they need help, let them seek the help that they need to be able to have to sort through the complexities that maybe they're, they're walking through. God, if, if it's just holding on to a lot of wrongs, and God, I pray you give them the strength to be able to let some of those wrongs go. God, we, just, we ask that as a church we could walk alongside each other and help them as they go through some of the hardest lessons, the hardest times when our relationships are in, are in the balance. So God, we just surrender our church to you. We surrender our relationships to you. God, we ask that you would do the work of, first of all, reconciliation with you first, so that we can begin the hard work of reconciling with one another. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.